Hi, it's Chris Watkin. I'm joined today by Graham Howell, who is estate agent extraordinaire from the sunny city of Coventry. Thanks for joining me today, Graham. Thank you, Chris. Um, I've known you now for a few years, and I've always found you an interesting sort of chap. So I want to find out about your estate agency story, the good times, the bad times, what you've learned on the way. Uh, so the boys and girls out there in estate agency land can learn from that. Is that OK? More than happy to do that. Okay, so Graham, you've just turned 40 years old. I know you don't look it. Thank you very much. Did you want to be an estate agent when you were at school? Probably not. When I was at school, hence the cufflinks that I've got on now, I was a drummer. And of course, did covers bands, original bands. But work experience led me into, because I was brought up in Ingate Stone in Essex, led me into Meacock and Jones in Shenfield. Uh, fantastic experience there. Um, again, went back out to try and become the rock star, but of course that doesn't pay the bills. Um, and then in very early 20s, thought, well, I've got to actually start getting some money into the bank. Hence my move into a state agency as a training negotiator. Did you just apply to a few estate agents then? Uh, I applied to, to a few, uh, two, two of the biggest at that point. So we are talking about the early noughties, 2003. Okay, so the property market was doing reasonably well at that. Well, in fact, it was doing very well at that it time. Was, it was, the, again, I came into the market as the market was starting to really dramatically climb at that point. Because uh, they say the crash for myself, uh, when that did come, 07, 08, I was still with Connells, but in Braintree, and, you know, I felt the difference in the market in 08. But first coming into the market, um, in a certain way, you could be order takers, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. What did you like about being an egg? And what did it teach you? Uh, again, being quite frank, Chris, within about three to four months, my manager, an egg, great guy, uh, Paul Woods, who was at Connells, now at Berested, in the uh, village that I was born in, Ingatestone, um, he taught me through it, but within four months, I was out valuing. Um, so that was the role that he wanted for me. I explained that in my interview back um, sort of November, I joined them 1st December 2003. Um, and it was, he was getting me to learn the old systems of when we had the hot box. Um, I think everyone reminds, remembers that you'd have your hot clients, price bracket ranges, normally either 25 or 50K, and you'd work your box. But more important for me, he made me create that um, local houses to sell box. So it's the locals to build up my relationship with them. And then of course, within three or four months, I was kind of out uh, well, valuing for the Connells Group. Can you remember your first valuation? My first valuation, yes I do, because Paul came with me on my first valuation. Uh, sorry, second valuation. First I was allowed to go, after seeing a couple. First I was allowed my first one, which was a little bit more comfortable because you've got no one overviewing you. I remember my first valuation with Paul Woods, he was sitting there, my mouth just went dry. But, you know, hold my hands up, not being rude, you know, probably 21, 22 at the time. Um, you've got your, uh, he was a branch manager, then just been promoted to branch partner. So again, it was just that experience of having someone of that uh, level sitting in front of you. That mean, you're having to do that job that you've only just started to do in front of clients. Did you get it on the market? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did get it on the market. But Paul, sorry, sorry, but Paul really did help me with that. As I said, there was one little stumbling block. I didn't know the, the answer to it. Like I said, I've only been doing it four or five months, hence Paul being with me. And we overcame the objection and yeah, next day we had the sign up. Well done, well done. So you were at, you were at that branch for how long then? Uh, so it was about the 1st of December till um, about January, February in 2005, where I then went across and started to run their Braintree branch. 
for okay. them. Was that a bit bigger? Uh, slightly bit bigger, if that makes sense, but it was the opportunity from going from Valuer to a sort of a branch manager. Were you a branch manager of Valuer? Yes. Okay. Did you receive any management training or were you just a case of you're a good Valuer so you make a good branch manager? 100% spot on. There was no management training. It was, it, I had done a good job. Uh, for the first sort of a year of doing it, bringing good results. Um, and the only training I got, like I said, was from Paul Woods when I was, it was the on training when you went on a valuation, no management. In hindsight, you could have had or should have had some more management training? Uh, hindsight, it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have, it should have been, I should have had that training because again, not being rude, young man in their twenties, yes, doing very well in certain aspects, but I've never run a branch before. Because a, a good value doesn't make a good manager, do they? Not at all. What mistakes did you make? With the management uh, of people. I mean, how many, did you have negs? Were they, were they older than you or younger than you? The majority were older. So you had calls with the, the Connell sequence set up. You've got your mortgage advisor, uh, which you had full time. And of course, when the recession hit, it was a shared mortgage advisor. Um, three negs plus a part-time neg. We then had admin upstairs. We had new homes, you know, for that branch as well, which they didn't have before. So I had a new homes lady, lovely lady called Brenda. It was the first retirement village in South Essex Meadow Park. Um, so it's, it was a huge learning curve. In one way, it was great because it gave me a fantastic experience because you have to learn on the job. Um, but I made some mistakes, of course I did. What were they? Um, again, at one point, was allowing everyone in the branch probably to sort of value, if that makes sense. But again, of course, once you're allowing to do that because you're taking people onto that next level journey, you've also then got to think about diary management because then certain people are wanting to get, show their clients okay. at certain properties, and that caused a bit of politics within the office. How did you deal with that politics? Um, we went down after work one day, because it, it was firing, there was a bit of a uh, kerfuffle in the office, and sat down, we all had a drink, and just sat down and just spoke about it like adults, but I did speak to, again, Paul Woods, I come back to him, and he gave me, look, have you tried this option? So I had someone, like a bit like a mentor, that I could reach out to when I was like, your head's against a brick wall. I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Throw me a bone. Yeah, and I think in hindsight, I think a lot of people do get promoted to be value managers who are, who are good valuers, and we don't train them, do we? No, and that, that you, you really do. It's a completely different ball game from going to either valuer to, to a manager or from a manager to a regional manager or a manager to into training. They're all different roles that uh, expect different kind of attributes. I must admit, I mean, I know countrywide, I'm ex-Halifax, were pretty good at training. Do you think Connells were good with their training? And I'm not talking about your, your direct line manager. No. If we're talking about the actual learning and development, so we put that to what you've got learning development, and then you've got your mentoring or you've got your in-house training. In-house training had no issue there. Mentoring, no issue there. The training, in mind, but no, it's kind of, um, it's like jumping into the swimming pool and you either swim or you sink. So, um, you, you were there for how long at Braintree? Uh, Braintree was there till 2009. Okay, and you won some awards? Yeah, I got a few awards in that time. Um, I, I got Best Newcomer, Best New Branch Manager, CHC, which is the Connell's Home Conveyancing, you know, top list on that with mortgage appointments, all the kind of KPIs you'd want to be hitting, um, but also the things that would also bring you in the income. Why did you leave Connell's back in 2009? For two reasons. One, I wanted the experience of going into the London market, and because Connells had previously bought Sequence out, gave me an opportunity to go into Bard Marcus, which I could go out to, and also knew the uh, DMD, Paul Ashton, because he was at Connells previously, 
and it gave me the opportunity of going into London market. TMD, what's that? Sorry, Divisional Managing Director. Is that one above area director? So it's the one above, so the area director maybe, you might have four or five area directors looking after an area, and then you have another one on top on the Ivory Castle, which is the Divisional Managing Director. So you followed your boss's boss? Yes, I did. It uh, gave me a great opportunity in Hammersmith, because um, of course you're London, Central London, Western London, however you want to describe it. Branch that was, as I said, quite negative there. I think about minus 190,000 within six months. You kind of turned that around and came out with property, uh, sorry, a profit of 50,000 uh, plus. But probably also helped because I um, met my ex wife at that time as well. Okay, we'll put you'll come back to your wife in a second. But, um, you know, that was a tough market. Prime, you know, Hammersmith just on the edge of prime. Yeah. Did you learn much from dealing with posh people and posh houses? Yes, that and as I say, just prior to that, when we did select, we opened up select at Ware and Hartford, which is the top range branch, oh, sorry, the top range for William H. Brown. You've got a select at Norwich as well, for example. We then opened that up in Ware and Hartford at the Seacombe branch, which you know, kind of led that, which gave me a great in, uh, insight into the, the more of the upper quartile prime market. And then the same with Hammersmith. It, so why, do, okay, so you went to Hammersmith, but you're only there for seven months. Why did you move back to Hertfordshire? Uh, my wife was Essex, and it was a two and a half, three hour journey, one way to get there when we started living together. So it was a nearly, a, could be a so five, she, hour she, Did you work with her in Hammersmith then? No, I didn't work with her. She was um, nothing to do with the state agency. Okay, but you met her there, you met her there but did she live in Essex? Uh, she lived in Essex. So I met her prior just going to um, Hammersmith, and you don't know what's going to happen. And then as I got to Hammersmith, that relationship was also going great guns as the work was. And again, at that point, towards the end of that year, I chose love over job. So you moved back out to Hertfordshire into Ware, which is a lovely little yeah. town. Um, and you were there for 10 years. How was that? It was good. I mean, I said there was some good experience at Ware and Hertford because I was there um, uh, again to about 2011, 2012. Uh, again, had that branch that opened up the Select brand there, which you also would have at Norwich. Um, it was a great opportunity. But then there was a, a further opportunity then to run Leicester City, which was a huge branch. So it was kind of then having Within, within two years moving to there, where I had four negotiations. Well, your wife was Essex girl. How did you persuade her to go from Essex to Leicestershire? Well, my wife at that point had fallen pregnant with twins. Okay. So, Martha and Betty, gorgeous girls. Um, we were moving up close to where my brother and sister-in-law live, because of course they're Lincolnshire way. So, of course, we've got family near us, as I say, just to help with. But, it, but surely, surely, when, and again, I'm making a sweeping statement mm. here, a lot of women, when they're, when they're when a family, they tend to move nearer her family. That. You were happy to... She was no, happy to move. Not so much of her family around, if that makes sense. Okay, and um, hence the reason we chose the option of being close to my brother and sister. Uh, her brother spent six months in this country and six months in another country, so that support wouldn't be there for six months, if that makes sense. So you went to Leicester? Yeah. Um, what did you think to the East Midlands compared to, in terms of a market, compared to... Essex and London. London. You, you do slightly drop down in the gear, and all I mean by dropping down in the gear, it's not so, so much full-on. People's aspects are, have changed a little bit, in my opinion. They're not so much blinkered vision. People got a bit, little bit more time to talk to you, and it was much more about relationship building rather than a quick fix. Did you, did you go in with a London attitude and get your fingers burnt early on? No, and the only reason I'd say that, when I went into London, like I said, I followed that my boss's boss, Paul Ashton, he said, the first thing you ever do when you take off a branch, you sit back for a week, you observe, 
you have chats with people, you find out what's going on. Then you then have a better idea within a month to make the fixes you need to do. More importantly, Graham, if you do it that way, you're not going to pee anyone off. You're not going to put someone's back up straight away and you get to know that human being rather than finding, not finding that human being, you're finding someone a little bit more fake. Top tip there. I like that one. Good stuff. So you went to Leicester. How were things there then? <laughs> Another branch that needed turning around, which again is what um, I kind of did for that sequence chronos group, to be frank. It was another branch that wasn't making profit. It, fantastic branch. You were right in the high streets, over three floors. I said we had four negotiators by the end of it, accompanied viewing, two valuers, a Lettings team consisting of three, two mortgage advisors, admin and new homes. And it was a ball game. It was a massive change of job environment because I was no longer a branch manager lister. It was running the branch and making sure you were managing. Had you had any training by formal training or was it just everything you've learned so far? Chris, again, no training again. It was using what I learned. Yeah. Also going on, to, you know, again, like yourself, I like to go on sometimes YouTube and bits and pieces of Google and you can get information and maybe get a bit of experience what people are saying but nothing is in comparison when you're doing it in real life. So it sounded that you were with Connell Sequence and you were there for life, rock and roll. Yes. Wow. You obviously, I mean, you're obviously not there now. I know you moved to Hart in 2015, but what caused you to leave? The point of those, again, uh, we've spoken about my ex-wife. During that point of going from William H. Brown, uh, Leicester to Hart Loughborough, was the fact that we were going through uh, a divorce. Um, I hold my hand again. Hand, I was certainly not the bad man either in that experience. So again, I had three children at that point, twin girls and a son. Um, not great amount of support from the company. You know, again, when, when the rug's taken underneath your feet like that, it, you, it just changes your world. There's no other way of putting it. Um, um, didn't feel I had the support and everything like that. Decided to. Uh, make a change after that period of time and again went across to hearts and i remember when i was having the chat with my area director I said you know been here for 10 years and now other people that have been here for a 10-year period and you know sometimes they've got just a little bit of a an email to congratulate you for 10 years i said i didn't even get that 10 year and it was a promise of a branch partnership if i hit x amount of profit from the william h brown leicester and ob um, and it was increasing the profit of that branch. They wanted 100,000, it was in excess of 150,000 pounds profit. The best profit they've had out of that branch throughout the whole period. And uh, at the end of the year, again, oh, we're gonna support you some more hurdles to climb if you want to get your branch partnership. What does branch partnership mean in the Connell sequence? It's a fluffy title, Chris. It's a fluffy title. And it, all it means to the human being is you have a slight increase in your wage, slightly better company car, and slightly better commission structure. So to the human being, you get a lovely fluffy title, but just makes life that little bit easier again. How did you feel, you know, by the sounds of it, one, one, one leg of, of the chair had been kicked out because of the unfortunate breakdown in the relationship with your wife. A lot of people then go and put a lot more on the, one of the other legs, which is obviously work, how did it make you feel that you would you hit what you were told to do to get the title? And don't get me wrong, I've been there. You know, mm -hmm. when you're a corporate man, that <laughs> is important. How did that make you feel? Well, I think I say it, uh, it was like the rug had been taken from under your feet. I was 
yeah, devastated. It's quite a good word. Or just, no, actually, disappointed is a better word to use. Really disappointed because this is what you need to do. I've done X, Y, and Z. At the same time, I've then just two weeks before this, my wife decided we were having this change, if that makes sense. My wife and kids are left. And I just thought, well, I can't trust this company anymore, in my opinion, because the, the, the goalpost changed again. Had your direct line manager told you, give it, given it to you in writing that if you hit that, you'd get that? Yeah. So did you produce the piece of paper? Showed them that all, but of course, like they always say, these things can change, you know, at the end of the day. We will, like every year when your budget, if you hit budget, your budget is then suddenly highly increased. And you think, I, I've just managed to do that. I don't know how I'm going to see. I'm going to suddenly bring in another 150,000 this year, for example. Um, the goalpost, like myself, like friends that I've spoken to, like ex-colleagues, with no disrespect with the corporate market, it can so easily change. You can be promised something, but it doesn't always come to fruition or materialise. So you went to you went to Hart. I did. I made that choice um, to go to Hart and Loughborough. Um, one, I knew the area. Two, get me back to what I actually really enjoy. Because the one thing I found being a branch manager sitting office is you move further and further away from your customer and your clients. I was a spreadsheet filler. Would it be fair to say that in the last year or so, when you were senior manager at Leicester, that you starting to fall out of love yes but then by going back into the business with with heart in loughborough you've kind of felt the love again felt the love again because again you've been in that living room that's and talking to customers taking them them along that journey is what i missed i fell out of love because all i was doing chris with no disrespect is spreadsheet on a monday re repeating that on a wednesday repeating that on a friday and then we had daily figures which we put in every day but then i'm still putting these figures on on a monday wednesday and friday and i just it was just starting to get a bit crazy. It's not customer driven from my perspective. The spreadsheet isn't going to help a customer get from point A to point B in a relationship journey. Yes, it's great if you like numbers. So you fell back in love with agency, but you were only there for 18 months. Why did you go to Purple Bricks? Okay. For me... Because it sounds to me you're a bit of a journeyman. I was, you know, again, up to that point, I'd stayed with the same company and I was being taken to hit fire offices. Yes, OK, I'll give you then that. Then I made that change because of the issues with the ex white and then not having the, what was promised didn't come to fruition. OK, but that, but that was William H. Brown. You went to Hart. Mm. OK, you turned that branch around yep. really well, but you were still only there for 18 months. Two reasons on that. One started, uh, well, the main reason, which hits point two, um, uh, everyone in the office would work hard. There was a certain member of, uh, in, in that office when an area partner would come into the branch. Uh, they would disappear um, to the top floor. Certain frolics would happen during work time in the office that I was running. And that allowed that person to progress their quick, uh, career very, very quickly too. So like company cars and a couple of progressions. That's not for me. I, I, I haven't entered into so a state agency for that. You're saying allegedly that uh, an employee would go upstairs with the, with the area manager. Uh, area partner. And that progressed their career on a little bit faster than... Potentially. It, might, it, it was just that, again, they had two promotions in that time and a company car. I'm not saying that 
is the uh, the catapult for it, but it's just a strange environment to see all that happening with what you add into that equation. Okay. I'm sure there was a perfectly good reason for that. So am I. <laughs> okay. And again, this is all al al alleged activity. Um, but you said you did, you wasn't for you, so you decided to move to Purple Brooks. Yes. When was that? That was uh, December 16. So you were you went in a local property expert. Correct. And, and then very quickly became UK national sales training manager. So you you were there when the when the Bruce's were there. Yes, when the legends Kenny and Michael were there when we had leadership management and in my opinion fantastic culture. Everybody says that when the Bruce's were running the show, it, it was truly amazing. It, it really was. Um, can I give you one example? Go for it. Um, again, you know, trained probably in excess of 300 local property experts, but also supported the central property experts. So the people that would be taking the incoming calls. And the one thing I loved about Kenny and Michael, that there was a bit of a glitch where we can make the, the journey, not only for the customer, but also for the agent quicker. Able to pick the mobile, ring Kenny straight away, pick the phone up, explain what the situation was, send me a quick email within 24 hours. Issues like that were kind of resolved. They were really living it, eating it, breathing it, and were part of it. If they came in to the central property experts, they'd be on the shop floor, not hiding in a little ivory car you know, castle, shop floor, on the telephones, get stuck in. I mean, we had Steph Walker um, on the sofa only a couple of weeks ago, uh, and she said that the, so you'd have been working with her at the yeah. She said the culture there was amazing. It was, it was unbelievable. I went to, um, the first conference was December 2016. Publics were a little bit smaller there, um, but I saw Michael and Kenny. The room just highlighted just how powerful they were, just the atmosphere and how electric it was. And they do work well, phenomenal together. Yeah, the, the, the sum is greater than the parts, although they're both exceptional people. Both exceptional, but you bring those two together and the way they can control the room because of the differences in their personality, it just blends yeah. extremely well. But then a year later, instead of something about uh, sorry, two to 300 people, there was over a thousand people in the room. So completely different kind of atmosphere. But again, the electric in that room, you just felt it of everyone. Then people would be standing up on floors because they lived and breathed it and were part of that journey. And they came along the journey with us, if that makes sense. So did you leave just before the Bruce's then? I left just before the Bruce's. I left in December uh 2018 and i believe um michael left about february march time after that and then kenny was april may in 19 in 2019 yeah okay but you left in december 18 correct did you see the writing on the wall or again were you just job hopping no for me thing for two reasons one like i said i, I trained in excess of 300 local property experts and very much the inhale training with our central property experts and connoisseurs. The journey doesn't stop there. If, if you come for two weeks training, fantastic. You, we're going to hopefully learn a lot, but also more importantly, you're probably going to retain 20 to 30% of that because we're human, yeah. are we not? What I wanted to do was then get out on the road and follow them up in four to six to eight yeah. weeks and potentially have them coming back maybe every quarter, even if it's just two days. Um, was that possible? I think if Kenny and Michael had been there, potentially would have been possible, but it wasn't possible. So basically you were chained to the desk? Kind of chained there. Yeah. Well, which I, didn't mind. I, said, I just think we needed to do more support because once you've done your training, you're so up. So would it be fair to say that when Kenny and Michael were there and Paul Bickerstaff and Lee Wainwright 
it was it was like a purring machine. It was a much more stronger purring machine going forward, and the, the wheels were aligned. Do you think, in your personal opinion, that Purple Bricks didn't do so well because they took the eye off the ball off the UK and tried to go a bit too big too soon? I think when we went to Australia, that was probably a good manoeuvre, but then going into America, following that, if you were Kenny Michael, you've got three babies then to kind of look after, and you are spreading it, and losing slightly Kenny Michael from the helm of the ship in the UK would have had a negative impact, because it's a, they brought the three key factors, like a New Zealand rugby team. They brought the leadership, they brought the management, but the biggest thing they brought was culture, which people then believed and bought into it, and you go above the call of duty then. So, was the, um, so who was running the show at Purple Bricks on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, just before you left then? It, uh, coming towards the end, it was Paul Fergus-Darth and Lee Rainwright. Um, and again, probably through that time, we also noticed probably more um, ex, sort of people from outside the industry sort of coming in. So it was kind of maybe watered down the bolts a little bit. And I think you started to see a bit of friction coming there, especially from people that maybe have w been doing the job, working away, and they were thinking, oh, is there a potential for me to do this role? but then someone gets brought in that maybe doesn't understand the ethos or has been out to do, you know, most people that were RDs at that time. And my very good regional directors, Jim Harris, which I know we both know very well. He was the uh, training manager there for the territory owners and went over to um, Australia to help out as well. Even Jim went out to be a local property expert, so he understood it from the ground roots up. Does that make sense? Like myself, people that were coming in, if you haven't done that, or you've never done a state agency, how do you understand a business? And you think that was probably the biggest cause, one of the biggest causes, why? Definitely one of the causes, in my opinion, probably one of the biggest causes to where we are today. And from something that was a hybrid model where you were self-employed, you are now employed. Okay. So you went to move to Yopa, UK training manager. So that was very similar to the job that you did at Purple Bricks. How was Yopa? Different. Okay. If you compare it to Purple Bricks, um, it, I just, I'm not being disrespectful, but it is true. It is like the poorer version or the poor band's brother of Purple Bricks. Okay. If you look at the, the, the contact centers, um, the advertisement, and how well that brand's known. Um, for my role, it changed. I was then out in the field and I was supporting uh, Scotland, North East, North West, East Midlands and Northern Ireland. So not being at home for at least four days a week, if not more, staying away, flying. If I was going to Scotland or Northern Ireland, I'd of course have to fly up there as well. So it was more time away because um, I also have another son called Stan. Um, and again, not being involved much into that life if you go into the living room with one of your people as well. How was... You said that your wife had, had walked out on you, unfortunately, back a few years before. Is that right? Yeah. Um, how was your relationship with your kids? I mean, this is just as COVID hit. So just as COVID hit, um, and that's so as COVID hit in 2020, I left Yopa for a couple of reasons. My um, uh, three children with my ex-wife, Martha, Betty and Ted, twin girls and the son, had moved to Austria. So I got to see them. Um, in February in 2019, before they went. 2020? Uh, no, 2020, I was in oh. my final country. So only with Yopa, so I joined Yopa in 2019. Okay. 
Right, so this is 2019, so we, COVID was still another year away. No, still another year away. So you, you, your ex-wife took your kids to Austria. Yeah, new life, and we, we discussed it. Yes, everyone's, you know, there are points that you, you could fight, but I had to think what's best for my children. A low crime rate, fantastic schools, great healthcare, and it's about the mental health of everyone. So got to see them before they went, as I mentioned, in February. Saw them in the summertime as well. Um, so I fly out, I have to stay over, bring them back, do exactly the same journey. But just prior to going from or seeing my children as well, you have expenses when you're in a business like that. And I would pay for things up front. I'm sure you do sometimes, Chris. And then you used to claim it back. But every time it was just before my kids, my couple of weeks of expenses there, my line manager there, every time I'd accidentally forget to pay me my um, expenses, which would come out of my own pocket, which I'm like... Well, right, then time that's some money that I might want to be spending on the time I've got my children. So little things like that, that wasn't great for me. I think during one period, she also said to me, uh, do you think you're a training manager, Graham? I don't think this is really suited for you. That kind of knocks you off your pedestal. Spoke to a few of the other members within that team. No, you, they gave me the support and reassurance. And I think then again... Well, you're a classic trainer. You're happy valley, bouncing all over the place. That's what we need from trainers, isn't it? Well, I'd hope so. And I think with the feedback that I had from not only um, from people, but if you look at glass doors and purple bricks, um, I had in excess of 20 reviews on that from people that I took through that, you know, sort of training. And not many people can sit here and probably say that with glass doors. And exactly the same with Yopa. Just felt, um, yeah, I didn't have the support from, from my line manager. Lots was going through with my um, the kids being over there. Um, and I also just yeah, kind of made the decision I fell out of love. You know, there's only so much you can give, Chris, to other people. There's only so much travelling you can do when you're not getting that support back. So, just as COVID hit, you were seeing your kids every six months. Yeah. Were you doing video calls before that, then? Well, yeah. So you, 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 were in, you, were, you were doing the video calls before everyone else was doing them. Right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because when you don't see your kids that often, you know, one of the nicest things, if you can't grab your kids to see their face and look in their eyes and watch them smile. Have you squared the fact that you're, you're only seeing your kids every six months? Well, I haven't seen my kids now for longer than that because of COVID. I've not seen them since COVID has hit because rules and regulations in Austria are completely different with lockdowns and bits and pieces. And I'm hoping uh, after nearly two years, this summer or Christmas will be the time that I can go and see them. How does it make you feel as a father not seeing your kids? I know you can see them. Uh, devastating. It's one of the uh, things that... I know it might come on to it later, we talk about mental health. I'm a massive advocator of that, and it's lots of people going through. It doesn't matter if you're a single dad, as, as I have been, or a single mum, but I was a single dad having to support another family, having to support myself and all my bills and another family's bills, and then suddenly, you know, you're not seeing those three little souls that make you worth living. Have you got better at it? How have you... How have you Let's, you know, there's going to be people watching this who, unfortunately, have divorced and, you know, the kids have gone the other way. How have you, how have you dealt with that? I didn't deal with it very well to begin with, because it's kind of like, if I look at it now, it's probably been a decade. And an initial, it's a massive lot of hurt, disappointment, all different emotions that you can feeling. You can build up a lot of anger, you can build up a lot of anxiety and depression from that as well because of the knock-on effects. Sometimes you might not want to get out of bed, all those things, because you feel the potential you've let your kids down. You haven't, you really haven't. And I know that now, if that makes sense, but maturity helps. 
um, you can have awful thoughts that can creep into your head. Um, and I'm sure I'm not one of hundreds, I'm one of millions of people that think if you've been through that process, it can effectively destroy you. And I've seen people go completely another way. Um, but how, what, what do I do now? How did you get through it? Talking to people? I talked to some people. I had to learn to love myself again. That's the biggest thing. You can't go and find another partner, Chris, until you know how to love yourself. When you know how to love yourself, you can then, someone else can embellish you and you can embellish them. When did, when did you realise that? When did I realise that? About two and a half years ago. Okay. So that was just as COVID hit? Or just yeah, before? just before COVID. Was it, what, was it just like a, a moment in time or? I had a bit of an opinion. I went back and saw my mum and dad who, as I said, in Gatestone, you know, quite lucky in my upbringing there. Um, what did your mum and dad give you in terms of your upbringing? Um, well, again, I'm quite happy to be candid. I'm always with you. I was um, adopted by mum and dad. So, like I said, I would have been potentially brought up in um, Basildon in Essex. Not saying Basildon's a bad place, but if you look at Ingatestone, they gave me a very good start to life in a very good area, and more importantly, they gave me love of a mum and a dad, um, and gave me very good foundations in life. But like I say, with the people that lived in their road, quite a few of them are, well, a few of them are estate agents in London, running their own business in, you know, sort of central London or West End. What, your mum and dad? Friends, friends in the road. But again, what did they actually teach you? I mean, okay, they oh, might have not been your biological parents, but at the end of the day, they'll have taught you something in terms of the nurture. The nurture, uh, to treat every human being as you want to be treated. One of the biggest things as well, is, especially from my dad's side, is it's okay not to be okay, son. You know, sometimes a hug is all you need. Sometimes it's good to listen. Sometimes it's good to be the talker. But more importantly than anything, it's, yeah, the, the biggest thing is to treat people how you want to be treated. And one of the biggest things my dad said, which I realise more now in life, most people do hide behind a mask. We don't really know what's going on inside someone treat people kind because that one bit of angriness or sharpness can ruin a person's day if not a week if not a year what's your mum taught you my mum has taught me <laughs> definitely to be a bit of a talker and, and relentless but more importantly just unconditional love really just unconditional love and to be to try and i can't always put my hand up but certainly to try and do my best now to give back um to people because it makes you feel good and I know we're coming to get something with Finding Country, with that Finding Country foundation that they do, certain things we did a, um, not far from here in Belfast Castle, we brought, did a tough mother to raise money for charity. For me, that, that was my son's Ted's birthday as well, he's in Austria, so I wanted to complete it for him, but also knowing that I was giving money back, and in the last two weeks, a client of mine's completed loads of furniture, which could have ended up in a skip. Imas have been able to go around there, collect that furniture, drive it into the shop, to be able to sell to raise funds, or into their homes where they help people with mental health, get them off the streets, you get a haircut, you get hot meals, and you start to put those building blocks in life. Being able to do that, and to be able to give back that, brings a lot of love back to you, which helps you mend. Also to mentor other people, helps me mend, because you can take them the, the, their journey, they can say something, you're like, I completely get that okay. dude, I did exactly the same mistake, but try it this way, potentially. Are you involved with the agents together? I've been involved with agency together with Sam Offlin. And again, I know he spoke to me again a couple of weeks ago, so he's looking for me to get involved again. So looking for my next, yeah, hopefully another human to help. Lovely. So you joined Fine and Country uh, in Warwickshire in uh, just as COVID hit in 2020. Was that really a case of you wanted to get back into 
the job you loved? Because that was a that's a, a self-employed role, isn't it? An associate broker yes. role. So for me, it was three things. As I said, I spoke to from family friends. And for me, yes, I wanted to get back into the job of us dealing with customer sites, people. I'm a people person. And I, I think that's so important because it's about relationships. But also for me, I wanted to deal with no disrespect in the upper quartile prime market. It's, it's a different kind of a ball game altogether. It's not so much about volume. It's very much about service. And it's very much about taking those clients along the journey. And also being self-employed is another reason. I don't want to be filling out loads of spreadsheets for spreadsheets for spreadsheets and be controlled my own business. Have you ever been happier in a state agency as you are now? No, not in all parts of my life because of what I'm doing now, I'm the happiest and the personally speaking, the healthiest I've ever felt. Weren't you scared of setting up your own agency? Of course I was. If anyone sits here and tells you you weren't scared, it, it, uh, it's BS. They're telling you porcupines. What would you, have you done differently looking back over the last few years about becoming a self-employed agent? Um, one of the biggest things, and I know you, you go on about and post, and I try and do exactly the same when I'm speaking to people, social media is, you know, if you can build up your own brand personally, and it's very important to also think about your own um, page on Facebook because people will only just look at your business page. It's what you're posting your own page as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying you, you don't be fake. You've got to be authentic. And mine going to be about family or it's going to be an advocate for the mental health. That's a, that I'm a bread and so you'll see that. Um, but if you're showing nights out, you know, you're being on a night out, or, you know, on a Friday set night, really, let's go for it. That isn't going to go down, I don't think, well with your clients and customers. You've got to be mindful of that. But if I could have built up that earlier, I would have done that. I, I did a bit when I was at Pearl Bricks and with Yoko for that through my personal page. I was using that as my platform. So when I launched Finding Country, thankfully I had lockdown, three months to get material going behind the scenes. And we launched on, I think, 27th of May. And I, by that point, had two listings that I was bouncing into the market with. But I consistently did what your YouTubes, and there are other people out there, but personally, your YouTubes, which you kind of teach, or try to help mentor people, really. And it, most importantly, you're just saying, if you actually do this, you actually will bring into fruition. Did I see results straight away? No, I didn't, Chris. And if anyone sits here and tells you that, again, it is the BS. It was, I said, start March, January, February, the following year, started to see lovely results coming through. And now, if I just give you an example, I had an open house on Saturday. Clients reached out to me Friday from Instagram, so arranged the viewings, we took them through the correct process. That's done. I had another client reach out to me the day before that. Um, he knew me from someone else and can you come around and uh, take my house on the market? So not come around and give me a valuation. Can you come around and take my house on the market? Well, what a great way to start a day. What tips would you give to people with regard to the content that you do check out? You've got to keep it. It's got to be a front of, of, of posts. And the biggest tip for me is, yes, you, you will see, and I know I won't be using pie charts for me, I'm afraid. Uh, if people want to use pie charts, please go ahead. I have used pie charts when I was with um, the William H. Brown Commons Group because that's what we're told to do. It's about pie charts. It's about market share. Not really talking much about customer service, though, but I'm sure that's a conversation for a different day. What, what I'd certainly be doing differently is making sure when you're doing your social media, authentic. It's about people knowing who you are, not when you want them to think you are, who you are. Hence what I went back to about making sure your pages are aligned. If someone saw me on my normal Facebook page, I am no different to when I'm in a video. And hopefully today, because I, I know we met a couple of years ago at the Finding Country one, 
uh, over the QE2, but I think I'm probably no different from what you might see in a video. And that is so, so important. So when I sit in the living room, and trust me, it gets on my what's-its when you're sitting there and you say, oh, I love your videos, Graham, they're great. And you sound exactly the same as you do as in my living room. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why haven't you liked it? Why haven't you loved it? Why haven't you made a comment? But I know it's making an impact. It's not about the likes, loves and comments. It's about your engagement and your reach. Absolutely bang on. Don't judge it by your likes and your shares. You'd be amazed at the amount of people that do watch your stuff and whose lives you're changing. Massively. Yeah. So that was really, I'd say, biggest tip, really start your, your social media. Even if you're with a different company and you might not even be thinking about it, in two years' time, you might be thinking about it and you'll be going, thank God I did do that. Yeah. Boys and girls, uh, do have a look. Just uh, just follow what I do. I talk about personal... I hate the word personal branding, mm. it, but everyone knows it. Yeah. I prefer to use the word reputation. They mm. can't take that away from you, can they? No one can take that reputation away from it. And it's very much like Richard Ashcroft said once, are you running with them or are you walking with me? And I'm walking with me. What's the future for Graham then? The future for me is I'm uh, turned 40 recently and my 40th um, birthday party, which then turned into an engagement party um, to my uh, beautiful fiance, Amy Sharp, who will soon be a how. Um, so in a couple of years time, there'll be uh, another marriage there, if that makes sense. Lovely. And I've got uh, someone that loves me for who I am. Lovely. And I can just be me, authentic. And how did you meet her? Um, we met through lockdown. Uh, online through lockdown, we did probably 12 to 14 virtual dates, got down with the kids, Chris. And then we went out for an actual date. And uh, probably the scariest thing that our families and friends will say, if you meet Amy, she is the um, uh, male, sorry, female version of me, and I am the male version of Amy, so we are two peas in a pod. What? Is she excitable and bouncy as well? <laughs> Bloody hell, I hate to see that. Yeah. I said that nicely. I don't know, totally. <laughs> um, Graham, thank you for your time today. Um, I hope, boys and girls out there, you've enjoyed that video, the insight that Graham's had, the, the downside of, unfortunately, losing the marriage and, and not being able to see his kids, what he learned from that, mental health is very important. But at the same time, that sometimes the best worst presents come back the best presents come worsely wrapped and you've now found your new new potential new wife yes to be um i hope you've learned a lot with regard to training and also any estate agents bosses here is um make sure that you follow through with what you promise thank you for your time today graham thank you chris really appreciate that too